Michelle Live podcast. My, 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 my Michelle Live. I'm Michelle Mendoza, and we're broadcasting live from the NRB, which is a National Religious Broadcasting Convention. There's just a synergy and a beauty. There's ministry after ministry, and they're connected in one way through broadcasting, podcasting, getting the message out there. There's a message that just caught my eye. In fact, I wish I had my t-shirt because I got one. We have heard for the last two years that black lives matter. And let me tell you, they do. In fact, so much so that every black life matters. And that's the gentleman's uh, sitting next to me, their ministry. I want to introduce you to my new friends. This man over here, Neil, Neil Mammon, is an engineer. So he's been helping me get set up here. <laughs> it's been no small feat. And we have Kevin McGarry. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me today. Thank it's you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. I want to hear about the passion of every black life matters. We've heard the black life matter motto quite a bit we don't take into account what black lives matter is what they really stand for and is that really standing for all black lives yeah so the reason why we started actually is for that reason blm we 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 saw what happened with george floyd and and there was a range of emotions across the country where some cities were uh literally on fire some cities were just being looted uh, and some cities had both. Uh, but the, the, what we found, what, what Neil and I found appalling, was you had black and brown, brown businesses being burned to the ground in these urban areas with BLM right at the forefront, along with Antifa, and pastors and parishioners, people of faith, going out with them as they were conducting these dirty deeds. And so what we decided to do is we said, look, okay, when, when these people, when their emotions settle down, they're going to want a righteous and faithful alternative to BLM because they're going to go to the BLM website. They're going to realize that BLM is, is, is Marxist, anti-family, anti-father, anti-God, anti-life, everything that a faithful person should stand for based on biblical truth. Uh, BLM is the opposite. So we said, look, we, we need to start a, a counter or an alternative uh, movement that gives righteous and faithful people the ability to uh, confirm that indeed black life does matter but go with us uh, an organization that's sincere about standing for black black life and biblical truth at the same time and you say that every life matters from womb to tomb and that is in direct conflict with the blm movement and what they have stood for are the values that BLM stands for, aren't they in line with what has really destroyed the black community altogether, Neil? Absolutely. In fact, the tragedy of is everything that BLM stands for is exactly what they're saying is the problem with black communities, right? I mean, the, the primary problem with black communities is there's a fatherlessness rate of almost 72%. And fatherlessness was caused by liberal welfare policies and socialism Back in the 60s, before back in the 70s, before the 60s, fatherlessness in the black community was only 24. Not only that, but uh, marriages were more intact, even okay. much more so right. than the white community, if you will. Absolutely, yes, yeah. In fact, if you went to a black community in the 1930s at the height of racism, you'd see fathers hanging out with their kids, playing with their kids, disciplining their kids. If you look through the windows, you'd see fathers having dinner with their family. 
You don't see that anymore. In fact, when you go into black neighborhoods, everything's barred up. Nobody's out there except for maybe gang members. Well, the fatherlessness was caused by LBJ, who started wooing the black voter over to his party, and he did that by welfare. And what welfare did is it kicked fathers out. So from the 70s to the 60s to now, 72% fatherlessness in, in black families. And this leads to what? Gangs and violence. Why? Because young men are looking for fa father figures. The young women are getting more sexually active because they're looking for that male companionship, their male approval. And that leads into the next thing, which is the um, violence in the schools, which leads to a destruction of the public education system. And now 68% of black parents want their kids out of the public schools, and yet the left and the progressives and BLM and the unions won't let you get a voucher to send your kids to a private school somewhere because they're fighting against that. So again, BLM stands against it. BLM, against, BLM says they're against traditional family. BLM says that they're, they're for socialism, they're for welfare, they're, they're for the transgender thing, which kind of ruins the family structure, they're against nuclear families. So this goes down the line, and Kevin can take the, talk about the pro-life issue too, because BLM is definitely pro-abortion. Historically, abortion has targeted black communities in the most heinous yeah. of racist, ideology and yet we just keep embracing it like yeah this is such a lovely thing yeah so uh, a lot of people may not know or may have forgotten what the uh, founder of Planned Parenthood what she said Margaret Sanger before she started Planned Parenthood she had conversations with some of her colleagues and she says look we don't want the word to get out but we're doing this because we want to fully exterminate the Negro population. These are words. It's very documented. Yeah, it's documented. We're not just so, talking, yeah. you know, conspiracy theories. No, it's documented. Words written. Yep. And so this was actually literally her business model. This is her business plan. So she didn't go in and she says, look, we want to be for women's health. No, no. She said, I'm doing this because I want to exterminate blacks, period, hard stop. But she realized she couldn't hang out her business, you know, single or edifice, saying, look, bring, bring, bring blacks here to exterminate them. So she said, look, but we're going to round off our services. We're going to have other types of, of you know, uh, procedures and, and screenings and those types of things. So we were not, you know, completely overt with it. But that was her, her goal. So she was a eugenicist who believed in white supremacy. Um, eugenists, of course, believe that there is a... A supreme race, a, a race that's above all races, and they see the Aryan race as that, and that's what that's what she was. And so that was her motivation. So the bottom line is, is what's happened since that time, is you have 80 to 90 percent of all Planned Parenthoods within walking distance of Black and Brown communities, and so we are disproportionately targeted. So our biggest plight is just getting out of the womb and being able to live. So uh, every Black life matters brings that into focus. It focuses in on the fact that, look, from the womb to the tomb, black life and every phase of black life should matter to everyone. Um, so this is not a statement of superiority. A lot of people, when they hear every black life matters, they wonder, well, aren't you still dividing us? Aren't you still saying that black life, you know, you're trying to make a superiority statement, and that is not it at all. We're making a statement of equality. What we're saying is we just want the opportunity, first of all, we want to focus on this issue so blacks can have the opportunity to be born at the same level, the same rate that other ethnicities are being born. Right now, we're disproportionately targeted, which means that even though blacks are really a small percentage of the minority populations, we make up over 40% of all abortions. That's translated to um, over 20 million black babies have been, have been murdered mercilessly in the womb. 
And uh, so even though we have a, you know, we, we have approximately 40, 40, 45 million uh, blacks today, it would have been 65, 70 million blacks today. We would be the overwhelming majority of, of the minority populations. Now we're a distant third and, uh, and falling. Bottom line is, is if we're concerned about black life, the number one plight, the number one uh, thing that's affecting black life in America today is just being able to exit the womb and live. And so we stand for that. I want to talk about how you've been received. The, the atmosphere in America is pretty ugly. It's pretty ugly. And if you ha- take an alternative stand, especially to Black Lives Matter, I mean, that, it's hard for someone to call you a racist, but I'm sure you've been called a whole lot of things. Has it been, have you had some good reception or has it, or have you also had a lot of contention? Well, there's, there are two types of responses and Kevin can talk about some of the responses, but we've actually had, in most cases, great response. And that's because we're, we're if you think about it, we're using an Aikido move. And Aikido is a martial art where you actually use the, the enemy's energy against him. You, rather than blocking a move, you redirect it. So when we run into BLMers, again, I'm not talking about the head of the BLM group, the people who took the $60 million and bought mansions with it. I'm not talking about the Antifa guys who get paid to go do violence. I'm talking about the college student or that little family next door who say, you know, have a little Black Lives Matters outside. So when we go up to them and says, well, do you Black Lives Matter? They'll, if they say, they say Black Lives Matter, we say, well, yes, absolutely. But here's my question to you. Does every single Black Life matter to you? Now, what are they going to say? If they say no, they're going to have to say yes, right? And then we talk about the fatherlessness. We says, doesn't, you know, here's the reason why there's fatherlessness, because the welfare uh, um, promotes fatherlessness. Don't you think we should change those laws? And we say, do those fatherless Black Lives Matter to you? And, of course, they're going to have to say yes. And then we talk about the schools in the inner cities, and we talk about the violence in there. And we say, look, does, does the fact that 68% of African Americans want a school voucher, those school children father, Black Lives Matter to you? And, of course, they're going to have to say yes. And then we talk about the abortion thing, and we say, look, uh, 40, uh, 30%, 33% of all blacks have been killed in the womb. That's a genocide any way you look at it. Do those baby child, black lives matter to you? And of course they have to say yes again. And when we say, look, it doesn't matter if you're pro-life or pro-choice. The fact that 30% of, of a race is being killed in the womb, and guess who's funding it? Government, our taxpayer money is funding it. Uh, you know, shouldn't some, our taxpayer funding was funding the welfare things. It's a government that's behind it, and, and it's, we're voting the wrong kind of things. And of course they're going to have to say, yeah, those baby black lives matter, right? And then we finally end up, we talk about the minimum wage. I don't know if most people know, but the minimum wage was started by racists. Back in the 30s, African Americans were doing great in their communities because they would go to a, a racist business owner and say, I'll work for half the price. So even though the business owner was a racist, he goes, hey, I can make twice as much money this year if I, because I'm only paying half as much. So the blacks were getting all the jobs and they were doing well. They were going back to their communities and the communities were doing well. They had their own dentists, their own mechanics and their own thing. In fact, in Oklahoma, six of the airplanes in the, in the airport back in those days was owned by blacks because right? they were doing so well. They had more black millionaires per square mile than any place else in, in America. Now, what happened? Of course, the, the, the KKK and, and the white supremacists didn't like that, and there's a party involved in it, so they passed a law called the minimum wage law. And the minimum wage says that everybody has to be paid a certain amount. And guess what that amount was? was the amount that white people were asking for. So now if you're a racist and some black guy comes and says, I'll work for half the price, you go, well, like, I'd love to hire you, but I can't. Besides, I don't like black people, so I'm just going to hire white people. And that's where the minimum wage originated from. And today, the minimum wage with, public, with high schools, public high schools, the literacy rate back in the 1930s was 70%. 
the literacy in the black community. Today, literacy rate is four, 17%. So now on, you get yeah. these kids coming out of high school, they can't read, right. they write, they can't get a job, and the minimum wage is 15 bucks. They can't earn their employer 15 bucks. As Salma Soul says, the effective minimum wage for black youth is zero. We need to change the laws, and we tell people, look, don't those school children black kids matter to you, those working black kids oh, matter to exactly. you, and they have to say yes. And we say, you know, everything I told you is exactly what BLM stands against. And the power in that is uh, it gets people thinking. People's hearts are often trying to go in the right direction. And you touched on a couple of key words that we hear a lot, disproportionalism uh, and uh, systemic racism. And those are big, big, big words in our vocabulary right now. But you just touched on, all right, disproportionalism, disproportionately murdered in the womb, disproportionately wiping out a race. And and who does that? Undereducating people, right? Disproportionately. But, uh, yeah, and way, even. All this, all this is available on our website, everyblm.com. Go to resources and you can see what to say to a BLM or you can download everything I just said. It's powerful. And, and yet, when you make these addresses, when you get those negative responses, this means that it's not really the black lives that they care about. It's something different. It's something deeper. And I would say something sinister. Let's talk about some of those not so friendly responses. <laughs> Honestly, we don't, uh, you know, we're, we're too, you know, big boys. And, and uh, so, and so we don't really get, especially in our face, nobody really comes up yeah, and nobody. says, Hey, you know, we, we don't get that. I mean, uh, typically, Antifa and BLMers, they're, they're cowards. They like to pick on people that are slight in nature and stuff like that. So they, we, we don't get that. But here's the other thing is that um, our message is every black life matters. So if you believe black lives matter generally, then you must believe that every single black life matters specifically. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. And, and, and most people don't want to be seen as, a, as just a straight activist hypocrite. So they have to agree with our message. Like, well, why are you getting mad at me? I'm just saying every single black life matters. If you're a BLMer, that should bode well with your, because you have an overarching theme and we have a very specific theme. There's nothing that, that we're really in conflict about other than we're talking about life from conception to the grave in every phase of black life. So there's nothing really to argue about there. We're just saying, look, we, we recognize that there's barriers, there's plights still within the black community that we need to address, like, you know, just giving us life. Uh, and the other ones that we talked about, school choice and fatherlessness and those things. And so we stand, uh, uh, you know, against those things. We encourage those things for the black community so we could so we can so we can live and be more successful and productive do you think we then have as a society cherry-picked our issues of uh as we mentioned disproportionism and uh black men who are incarcerated and of course we can we can look at those statistics and see that they don't actually play out the way they've been presented but that's an issue people being afraid to be pulled over or being profiled and i'm not gonna lie that happens it it, it happens you have look at this you know you're looking at people who are not white on this podcast right now so you know racism is there is it systemic 
like, well, if it was, we wouldn't have had a partially black president. Right, you right, know, right. It, it's not a systemic issue. It's a heart issue. And let me tell you something, sweetheart. When you hate somebody because they're white and you're telling someone that they're a bad person or there's something wrong with them because of the color of their skin, you got that hate too. So it's a, it's a sin problem. It's a hate problem. Come on. Yet we have kind of cherry picked these issues. And in doing so, we negate helping an entire community and a whole generation wouldn't you say because we're not dealing with the real problems we just want to say well we don't want you to profile well of course we don't but what about all of the issues that have got had had, had maybe contributed to george floyd for example uh getting arrested or having a criminal record you know could we have stopped some of these things before he was even being pulled over and and interacting with the police well, I don't know about the pulled over, but I can tell you that um, one of the problems, and we believe in one of our lines is criminal justice reform. So we do have a thin blue line on our logo, if you notice that. So we're, we're definitely pro-good police. But there are bad pe- police. There are bad cops. We all know about bad cops. The problem is, again, the socialist unions, in many cases, prevent those bad cops from being cleaned out of the system. So I think you'll see, many times you'll see bad cops, bad actors, but just because you have some bad policemen, doesn't mean that everyone is bad, right? You don't condemn the entire police force, right? Uh, just because you have bad politicians doesn't mean all politicians are bad, right? Now, we like to think that, you know, because most politicians... That turns out they're probably more bad politicians than a bad police. And right? that may be, and even with the police, we saw, we're seeing this turnaround of, we, we've got to dismantle the police, we've got to defund the, defund the police, and then during the State of the Union, suddenly, well, we don't need to defund the police, we need to... It's like, wait, I'm spinning, and I am... Dis- but you know what is uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever? It's God's Word yeah. and that biblical worldview. So as you're watching, listening, or reading this this program today, check out your worldview. How do you view the world? I'm telling you, a biblical worldview it just interacts perfectly it, there's no there's a consistency and those are the very principles that every black life matters is based upon the kind of principles that are the same yesterday today and forever that don't just help with criminal justice which is the big emphasis behind black lives matter but it helps with home justice. Yeah. It helps with education justice. It helps with life justice. It gives you a hope and it gives you a future, Kevin. Yeah, so the issue that I like to always bring forward on criminal justice reforms, uh, because some people, they ask us about that. So what do you do with criminal justice reforms? And I say, look, we're, you know, we believe wholeheartedly in what President Trump started, which was we had a, you know, a lot of people doing 25 to life or a dying bag of weed or small amount of cocaine or crack and those policies were policies that were brought forth by a guy who currently occupies the white house so president trump was merely trying to correct what joe biden did in his 1994 crime bill mass incarceration was literally brought forth by joe rabino biden this guy and he's the one that beat his chest for decades about uh, yeah, we want to make sure that these urban predators, what he called it, uh, don't infiltrate our schools and, and all of that. I don't want my grandkids going to school with these urban predators. So he is the one who actually strengthened laws to where 
if you did have a small amount of marijuana or a little bit of crack, you're going to do 25 to life. Mass incarceration is Joe Biden's baby, and President Trump was trying to correct it. We believe that there's still a lot of people languishing in our prisons for crimes that should not. If we've legalized marijuana across the United States, then, you know, or, or in most of the United States, or most of the states, that that well maybe we should relook at some of these cases especially if they're doing very very long terms some of these people should probably be out and given a second chance so those are the types of things that president trump started we believe that we can continue but not the criminal justice reforms that defund the police or our bail you know no cash bail Th these types of things are very dangerous the the uh, environments or the uh, communities that are most disproportionately harmed by those are black and brown communities uh, because then that means that when we do have an emergency uh, it's going to take police as opposed to eight minutes to get to our home 45 minutes or we may not even see a police officer as a result so those are the types of things that are dangerous for our community yeah and also most black parents especially the moms one police presence in their cities oh yes right? yeah. <laughs> yes we yeah. do yes we do uh, in our final minutes together, I do want to talk about how people can get involved. The lights are coming on all over. Can we call it an awakening? An awakening. An awakening. Yeah. And there's a big awakening in uh, communities of color where we're saying, now, wait a minute, these policies aren't working. Wait a minute, we've been sold a bill of goods. Wait a minute, how's that working for you, sweetheart? Not so well. So now that we are waking up, what do we do? Yeah, so now that we're waking up, uh, you, you can go to our website, everyblm.com, everyblm.com. We have lots of resources out there. We have anti-CRT resources, so we have templated letters already ready to, they've already pre, been pre-written. All you have to do is put your name and, and stuff on there. You could send them immediately to your school boards, your corporations, or your city council. You can stand for, uh, stand against critical race theory in your local communities. So you can do that by going to our website. Huh? Why is that important? Because critical race theory, yeah, yeah. For the average person, in, the, in, in a nutshell, I know we're getting to, towards the end, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but critical race theory basically says just because of immutable characteristics like co color of skin, uh, like our white brothers and sisters need to be rejected. They need, they're, they're irredeemable. Uh, they're cursed. Um, and, and, and because they're complicit with what happened with slavery in the 1800s. So that, in a nutshell, is what it is, is basically us trying to cancel whiteness and uh, that's what critical race theory promotes. So it promotes hatred. And if that's being taught to our children, I know for me, I didn't even know. I, 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 hatred is, is, is a, a foreign emotion for me. Uh, I, I didn't know how to hate people or how to really disdain people until I got much, much older. They're teaching children how to, how to hate in, in grade school, third, fourth, fifth grade, how to actually purposely hate somebody else. This is a non-starter. The other thing is, is if we're concerned about our eternal soul, uh, CRT is undergirded by unforgiveness. So here's the problem with unforgiveness. Mark 11:25 says, "Look, if you will not forgive, your Father in heaven will not forgive you." So the problem for the body of Christ is we have a lot of people who are embracing critical race theory, black liberation theology, and these other philosophies that are undergirded by unforgiveness. And that is an existential threat to our very soul. The eternity that we think we want, we're not going to get 
if we won't forgive. So we have to get over this, and that requires us to let this let this garbage go, and let's fully embrace the Bible and and, and live according to the way God told us. Okay, that's the drop the mic moment, boom. Yeah. But you're sitting under the mic, so I won't drop it on you. But it has been Neil and Kevin. It has been such a blessing to have you thank with you. me today. And uh, thank you for joining in. Remember to like us, share us, pray for us, and let us know how we can be there for you. I'm Michelle Mendoza, and this is my Michelle Live.